Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Pell. So Matt is an applied sports scientist at Catapult Sport where he works with a range of MLS teams as well as loads of different teams in American football. Before he worked at Catapult, he worked with Australian rules football, including two professional organisations and referees. This wide experience across continents means he's the perfect person today to discuss what he thinks is the most physically demanding team sport in the world. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Matt onto the show. So Matt Pell, welcome back to the Science Sport Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Matty. It's good to be back again. Excellent, excellent. So can you give us a quick update as to who you are and what you've been up to until now for those who haven't listened to your first podcast? Yeah, so I'm currently working for Catapult Sports over here in North America and uh, since transitioning over about nearly two and a half years ago now, it's sort of time's gone pretty fast with COVID, I suppose, but um, prior to that, worked in the Australian Football League for uh, around about 10 years, so just under. Um, so currently with Catapult Sports, I look after all of our um, Major League Soccer uh, accounts um, all the way through to a uh, a good handful of uh, universities and around about nearly uh, 20 American football at the at the college uh, level space. So, yeah, got a really mixed bag and um, uh, certainly exposed to a, a lot of different sports and a lot of different conversations. That's awesome. And I think that gives you a, a perfect background as well to, to discuss which is the most physically demanding sport, team sport specifically, um, out there. So before we start to fire into some serious candidates like which are the sports that we can just immediately be like, nah, it's not that. Like, if you've got, if you've got one or two that just need to, to die immediately. Yeah, I have to be a little bit careful here because I, I definitely... You're going to wind everyone up. Great relationships here. There's yeah. no doubt about it across a multitude of sports. But I suppose if I really did have to... Uh, and this is probably direct feedback from a few of them as well. Um, I suppose when you look at uh, soccer or football in the world game, like it, when a guy goes down from an injury and they take their full 30 seconds and they've only got a little knock here and there, um, that's probably the most frustrating <laughs> frustrating <laughs> yeah. piece. But uh, they certainly do carry on a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's just a, it's a part of, obviously, the, the sport. And, um but yeah, like no doubt about it. Like soccer is probably the obvious one in that space. I know that the cricket guys uh, think they do work hard. Um, there's there's a lot of standing really, around in cricket, mate. There's, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of doing standing nothing. around. No doubt about it. So, but if you give them any form of like endurance work, they're, they're the first to carry on about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all all part of it. Um, so when we're looking at some some serious candidates, right? I, I want to hit some different KPIs. So first things first, um, aerobic. Like, which sports uh, do you need a serious aerobic base for? Yeah, like I think honestly, coming from that um, AFL background, like having a look at, I, I, was, I was talking to a client just literally about this last week, like. AFL um, in particular has around about a 16-week pre-season. Um, so when you look at the real optics of the sport, like you, you do have a really good opportunity to, to periodise and actually build up um, a really solid uh, base. And practitioners will really try and uh, obviously hone in and, and tailor their programming towards that. Um, but I genuinely think um, when you look at 
the GPS requirements of the sport as well. And a lot of that lower density based running, um, we, we, AFL absolutely does take the cake, uh, I suppose, in, in terms of uh, what that looks like from an overall output within the sport as far as I'm concerned. And, and what does that look like? So what, what are the physical demands of, uh, of that sport? Yeah, it's it's everything, and and when you conduct your needs analysis of the sport, um, it, it's uh, and you consider like it, it, obviously volume based running, which is that lower density, through to your, your typical high speed uh, bands, through to your sprinting distance, and 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 then looking at obviously the the types of runs that can happen within that space as well. So we're talking about arcing and then changing of direction and and sprinting and, and potentially jumping it literally off the ground into a pack situation where you've got to spoil the ball um, really big uh, in in terms of those running demands but then again you add these layers over the top as well um, and the simple fact is it's a 360 degree sport where you can be going back with a flight which is a terminology in AFL um, where you're not looking directly at the at the necessarily who's coming in front of you but you're looking at where is the ball situated um, and and you've got to be able to jump into that situation and knowing that someone could be coming on in front of you like a freight train to take you out uh, that definitely does happen so um, the tackling and the competitiveness of the sport I just really struggle to see another sport like it. Um, so when you add all of these components into understanding what actually happens to condition a player for that sport, uh, probably one of the most um, challenging for practitioners, no doubt. So, so that's like aerobically the most demanding sport in your opinion. What about anaerobic? So you're talking like short sprints, maybe some some lactate type work. So. What kind of sports do you think are oh, these guys are really taking the biscuit when it comes to some anaerobic work? Yeah, look, having the privilege, honestly, since moving over here to to just have and, and privilege and appreciation for what goes into um, American football, and, and I'm probably more so referring to the their skill guys, so the guys that are typically on the outside of the ball. Um, these are your wide receivers, DBs, and so forth. Um, just fascinating how how much um, high and I spoke about that high intensity that literally that repeat based effort the sprinting component of the sport but to do that really repetitively throughout uh, a couple of hours plus worth of game time and they're running 60 70 plays like obviously as a part of their their game demands uh, that is a huge, huge component of understanding the sport, but uh, obviously conditioning for the sport as well. So that that's something I've been really, really impressed by. Um, and I think, yeah, it's not until you actually do see it and you attend a couple of practice sessions and you see what these guys go through um, and the prescription around it, plus complementing that with uh, the numbers, uh, it's certainly one of the most demanding I've seen purely from that anaerobic perspective. So you've got two two main contenders already, but we need to throw strength into the mix as well, right? So when it comes to, to like maximum force outputs, which sports do you think are then uh, really leading the way? Yeah, like I, I definitely did allude to it in terms of the NFL component, um, American football. Like it's purely you need a good, obviously, strength base and power base in order to produce that amount of force. 
um, for uh, now I'm probably more so referring to your interior guys, which is more your offensive and defensive linemen. Um, but at the same time, to make these guys fast, we need force and we need velocity. Um, so to un- really understand, obviously, what these guys go through in the weight room as well, and, and that's where I've personally had some great exposure to strength sessions and work, looking up, walking into a weight room to see literally 20, 30, 40 squat racks um, that are set up in an American football context, uh, you do have a really big appreciation for just how much strength training the, the guys obviously do complete and, uh, and obviously the, the overall strength outputs um, that are required for, for that sport, which absolutely transfer uh, into the sport. And uh, no honourable mention for rugby. Is, uh, is American football then a stronger sport than rugby? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a probably like I, I probably stick to what I know a little bit in here. Like I haven't worked too much um, in rugby or seen a lot of it. Um, previously, but yeah, I, I think I probably go back to nearly yeah ten years ago when I did start in the AFL system, um, working with the AFL umpiring department and, and sharing the weight room uh, with the Melbourne Rebels guys at the time, and looking at no doubt what uh, what they had to complete as a part of their their sport, squatting, deadlifting, uh, cleaning, and so forth. Um, I I definitely do have an appreciation for how much strength training they do on top of obviously everything else. But uh, referring back to my involvement now in American football, um, I I definitely have a bit of a soft spot for how much they actually do go through, plus the running demands as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously it depends per position and we can touch on that later as well. But I can imagine the, the really big guys in American football are probably stronger or bigger than a lot of the really big guys in rugby. Yeah, it's, it's like, again, probably just not seeing a lot of um, the rugby guys. We're really up close, but definitely seeing the um, the offensive and defensive guys up close over here, um, we're, we're like, they're some of the biggest humans, honestly, I've ever seen. And uh, and obviously, if you're, you're getting blocked or if you're getting hit by one of these guys, like, you you are in hospital and you don't know about it. <laughs> there is yeah. no doubt about it. Um but to obviously to see the, the amount of training, but obviously the fueling. Um, and, and that's where, again, I've just had such a, um, a privilege to be able to sit in during a, uh, dur- after a morning session, um, going in from practice and then we're sitting around at, at, at a dinner, t- at lunch table and watching these guys consume, obviously, what they consume and then getting ready for a weight session after that before they've got to go after class. Uh, you just have a real appreciation for what it takes to be yeah, one of these bigger interior guys in American football. And and what are we talking about? What's what's on the plate or plates? Like how, how much are they? How much are they getting getting through? Well, in America, obviously they love their chicken, particularly yeah. down here in the south. <laughs> so, um, but there's there's a bit of everything. They love their obviously their, their cookouts, um, big barbecue fans. There's no doubt about it. So you've got a whole mixture. Probably not a lot of vegetables. Like there's definitely some more <laughs> okay. salad, but yeah. uh, they're big meat eaters. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> so there's some there's some room for some uh, some improvement on the veggie front. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, so when you when you put all of these things together, right? Um, like the big question, which is then the most physically demanding sport? Yeah, I, I think AFL. Um, it clearly, as I mentioned from the outside, like you look at all of those physical components, and I think the the one 
area that I didn't mention just before is just the level of understanding of the, the game plan and the execution of that as well. So we're talking about the psychological and, and, and obviously um, game now, so understanding the complexities of the sport and, and where they need to run and why they need to run in certain directions. Um, and at the same time, you've got offence and defence on there um, and they're all trying to work as a part of a team with 18 players it's, it's really, really complex. And to be able to put a system in place to be able to win games, uh, clearly just last week, Geelong were able to do that um, with an aged team as well, as well as anyone um, has done over the last 20 years worth of watching grand finals. Um, so absolutely, AFL takes the cake for, for me. Um, and uh, and uh, obviously because I've had a little bit of uh, experience in the sport, but at the same time, just knowing exactly what these guys have to get through as part of, uh, as part of their demands and, and obviously their, their, their tactical understanding of the game. And is there a particular position within that that, that has to do the most work? So is there like a, a, a best of the best? Like one, one or two different positions where you think, oh, these guys are really, really milking it now. Yeah, it's it's a really good discussion point because uh, I suppose having been in some of those meetings, the uh, team meetings previously, uh, the defenders think they do everything. <laughs> uh, the midfielders, obviously, that think, uh, obviously, you've got that connection between the midfield and the defenders, but then you've got the forwards versus the midfield as well. Uh, there's a great debate, <laughs> no doubt, about who does the most amount of work. But uh, I genuinely think, like, particularly having worked with... Um, uh, Mark Murphy, who was a captain of um, uh, Carlton Football Club, like looking at a guy who can produce nearly 17, 18 kilometres worth of running. And, and when we look at high-speed running threshold of around anywhere uh, above 17 and a half, sort of 19 kilometres per hour and above, like he's doing three kilometres, he was doing three kilometres plus uh, in a game. So a guy, like just to understand that back and forth and that, Gut running, as coaches talk about, um, it's it's phenomenal to see that amount of output. But again, sitting in this chair with Catapult, I just don't see another sport like it in terms of those sheer running demands. And how, how do you then train for that, right? So you've got like the, the end of the week, you've got this ridiculous physical output. Um, how do you get ready in the week for that for that one event? Because it seems like you, you're going to really struggle to get something close to that during the week. So maybe mm-hmm. just some intensity stuff in there. But, yeah, how, how does that look for those guys? Yeah, really, really fine balance because it literally does take you all, all week to, to get up for a game. And obviously you've got that either seven, eight-day turnaround, potentially six as well if you've got a Friday night game. Um, so, like, traditionally in an AFL program, they've played around with different models, no doubt about it, but um, you've got to do something earlier on in the week just to, to get going again, um, and it's more recovery-based, but typically they call that a flush run um, in the sport. But midweek is, is probably the best opportunity to be able to really get a decent dose of volume and intensity and then moving into um, more of like a potentiation session at the back end of the week. Um, pretty short, obviously, but really quality output uh, in order to get ready for a game. So it's it's definitely a fine balance. 
Um, there is some different models out there, but I genuinely think as long as they're getting through at least that half game d- dose um, throughout the week and then obviously going into a game, the, the tricky part is it's just managing the players who either don't play um, or obviously um, how the time frame's based on your, your drill design as well. So just understanding what you need to prepare for and then how you need to prepare for it. Um, it's a really, really fine balance. And if there are any like amateur um, AFL players or uh, from other sports as well, but um, like how would they go about planning to get fit for that? So like I don't think I would be able to do that very quickly. So it'd take me a couple of years to get there, right? So how how do you go from like amateur, maybe like sixteen to eighteen year old, going all the way up to someone who can who can produce those outputs? Yeah, it, it does take years of, uh, I genuinely think, like having played the game, like it takes years of conditioning just to adjust. And I think we see that with the transition of uh, obviously some of the American guys who have come into the Australian system and you've got no doubt a, a big Irish contingent as well. Um so, like, looking at that three, four days worth of and, and potentially five days worth of on-legs running, um, it can take, like, a significant amount of time to be able to adjust towards the, the running demands and, and obviously the intensity of those running demands as well. So, um, if they are, obviously, at a lower level involved in some form of running sport, I think what you've got to really try and hone in on is, is building that aerobic base. Um, and that can take years in order of investment to be able to do that, um, but understand like other components that go into the sport. And I think that's a really critical piece of working with some strength and conditioning professionals such as yourself to be able to guide um, guide you through that and, and how do you structure your program, but also just working backwards from what those game demands actually are. And I think. It's probably that I mentioned this right at the start. It's the most unique thing about AFL. You've got a, a 16 week plus preseason with 20 odd uh, games um, plus a finals campaign to be able to prepare for. So that 16 weeks um, I see being really, really critical to, to get ready for that format. Um, you know, how you work backwards from that, that's what practitioners are honestly pushing the boundaries on and it's a big part of uh, obviously how they complement the coach's philosophy as well. I think that's absolutely excellent. So Matt, massive thanks for Simon effort today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, super interesting so to fun. see that uh, Aussie Rules has come out on top and uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking again soon. Appreciate it, Manny. Thanks Thank again, Manny. Cheers. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Matt for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time, and you can get access to the Coach Academy completely for free for seven days. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.